Hello, my name is Dr. James Waldron. I'm a portfolio GP in Nottingham, a GP educator, and I also co-host the GP Notebook study groups. And welcome to the GP Notebook podcast. Here, you will find a whole range of bite-sized topics aimed at all of those working in primary care. Perfect way to update and entertain you on the morning commute, or in fact, anywhere. You can find us on all major podcast platforms. Follow us to receive notifications about new episodes, and if you like what you hear, please leave a review to help other listeners find us. You can also follow us on X at GP Notebook for info and updates on podcasts, study groups, and more. You can also follow me at Jamius Dodges. Finally, check out the show notes and have a look around on our brand new GP Notebook website. There is info on signing up for study groups, lots more education, and loads more resources. In this episode, we will join Dr. Alex Live, the Workwell Doctors, to discuss digital well-being for clinicians. We hope you enjoy it. Alex is one of the founders of the Workwell Doctors. Um, he is a fellow early career GP. He has been LMC chair in his local area and a technology enthusiast and a real passion for mental health and digital well-being. And so I'm really glad that he's been able to join us today. Welcome, Alex. Thank you very much for having me, James. So let's start with hearing a little bit more about you. What, what brought you into this, this area of interest? Um, so I guess I've always been involved in sort of pastoral care uh, and advocating for healthcare professionals ever since the first junior doctor's strikes in 2015 um, and the large exodus of doctors, demoralization, burnout, uh, became more interested in uh, ways of preventing burnout and exploring how to support healthcare professionals. Um, and then, of course, um, during the pandemic, a spotlight was shone on the importance of prioritizing staff well-being. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, I myself um, had some challenges during my GP training, where unfortunately my partner became very unwell um, and I had to go less than full time to become a mental health carer. Um, so together, these uh, caused me to recognize the challenges that we were facing in healthcare and primary care. Um, and so together with a another GP colleague, I set up the Workwell Doctors, yeah. which is an organization that supports the mental health and well-being of healthcare professionals. And we've spent the last four years really uh, looking at the research and the expertise and the, the knowledge that is out there around how we can support healthcare staff uh, to live well. Brilliant. Uh, that's a wonderful mission. And uh, it's, it's really nice to, to hear the stories that, that come through of the things that really inspire people to develop that specialist interest, to find things that really are important to them. Um, so thank you for sharing that with us. And in fact, I was uh, very privileged to be on the receiving end of one of the Workwell Doctors talks at a conference a, a little while ago, which sort of stimulated um, us to, to have this discussion and to bring you onto the podcast. Um, it was all about digital well-being, and I thought that was a really fascinating topic and something that is just becoming more and more prevalent. What do we mean by digital well-being, do you think? Good question, James. Um, uh, normally in our workshops, we ask people, you know, what do they think digital well-being means? Um, so Google defines it as about crafting and maintaining a healthy relationship with technology. 
So it's about how technology serves us and moves us towards our goals rather than distracting us or interrupting us or getting in the way. So digital well-being is about recognizing that technology has infiltrated our lives substantially, but mm -hmm. how we can be in control of it and make sure it's not in control of us. Yeah, I mean, that that is the, the ever the challenge, isn't it? And I sometimes think as I, I look at my phone, and of course, we're doing this on Zoom, which is yet more technology, how we would cope in modern society without it. Um, but, it, but as I said, it infiltrated it, it affects every aspect of things that we do. Um, we, we talked about uh, about how much screen time, uh, we, you talked about how much screen time that we use. What, what's the sort of data? What, what are we looking at in terms of time we spend either looking at our phone or, or looking at another screen? What I would suggest is that everyone listening to this podcast right now actually looks for themselves at their data. So it's very easy on a Google phone or an iPhone to go into your settings and look at your screen time. And it is sometimes bewildering how much time we spend on our phones. Uh, and it's also useful to look at which apps in particular are a culprit because there is a, a, a concept called time confetti where you have a set period of time where you think that you will be able to achieve all of your admin and tasks and it just disappears. Mm -hmm. And often our phones can be a big culprit for taking away that time from us. Yeah, I mean, I've just I, in preparation for this, I, I looked up my own screen time and, and I recognize I think I, I wouldn't have thought I was a particularly high user. Um, it says here uh, two hours, 48 minutes, which is quite I mean, 22 minutes of that was map. So still two hours, 20 minutes on a phone. And, and I wouldn't consider myself a particularly high user. So it is taking away time from everything else, uh, isn't it? We, we have seen a lot worse uh it, during our workshops and 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 that's okay it, it's just useful to have that insight to set that reminder have that check uh and then be able to respond to it well in fact one of the things that uh you set as a challenge to do at, at that particular workshop was to put some timers on on the apps uh that we use the most and for me uh you know BBC News was a particularly big one for whatever reason. I kind of get sucked into speaking to that. So I've set a half an hour time for that. And it does bleep and say, hey, you know, you know that you've been here for half an hour. Would you like to extend that by five minutes? And now that's it. Um, yeah, so that's good. Um, I think this this whole concept of sort of being being constantly connected is is quite interesting around this. Um, what would you say? I mean, would you say that's a problem being constantly connected to each other and our phones? I mean, one might argue that that is very valuable. You know, I could contact you uh, anytime I want. We arrange this meeting via WhatsApp. Is, is that is that a bad thing? Nothing is ever good or bad. There are always pros and cons. Um, there's an interesting sort of proverb around. Uh, the number of people that make a village and how many people we were meant to be connected to. And we have all seen the damage that social media and the spreading of uh, misinformation has caused. And at the same time, uh, there are media doctors who've managed to raise awareness to various topics um, and reached a far wider audience than they would have otherwise. But I don't think that we were meant to be connected in this format, mm. uh, in this manner, 
and at this quantity there, well, there, there is a difference between digital connection and human physical connection as we all experienced during the pandemic and people differ in what they require um but you know we know that it has benefits and we know that it has disadvantages yeah i mean i think i have to agree with that statement um thinking about the, the digital connections that we can have and especially during lockdown when the, the the digital uh communication was the only thing that we had and looking at the benefits it's brought and the fact that you know you can be in london i can be in nottingham we can have this conversation this recording um and we can and do education and cpd across areas but it's sometimes at that expense of the the physical interaction and meeting people face to face um which i think is very important and perhaps hasn't risen back to the top of people's priority list because of the ease of just logging on on your phone. And there's two things relevant to GP work here, especially. One is death by Zoom. You know, the the number of meetings now that are done virtually um, and that lack of networking that we used to get. Uh, So, for example, my entire LMC chair tenure was virtual and so at the end as we were opening up again um actually getting to meet people face to face it felt so unusual but prior to that when i was a rep you know i we did get to meet for lunch and have those chats and those informal conversations that you just couldn't get through zoom etiquette and then the second thing is around the constant availability we now have as clinicians and colleagues and how do we set those boundaries so that bringing it back to digital well-being, we make sure that the technology doesn't consume our lives and it's only us taking advantage of the technology. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I remember back to that workshop and I think you you asked people share of hands to say who's sent an email back to uh, part of their jobs after nine o'clock at night routinely. Um, who who checks their emails as the last thing they do before they go to bed? And it's it's very difficult to to switch off properly and, and have that that kind of professional space. So how do we ensure that boundaries are set and where do we draw the line? How would you say that we maintain safety and retain our personal space around digital working? In terms of those boundaries that we were talking about, I think it's really important that we set those boundaries. We know that with the introduction of new technology, we've seen the vast, you know, exponential rise of AI and how legal systems haven't been able to keep up. I think it's really important in GP practices to discuss. We've said the same in hospitals when we've gone into trusts and talked to the staff, like what is the protocol for messaging? Because we know that the concern is the fear that you're going to miss something. But actually, WhatsApp is not the appropriate channel for communicating with someone. Oh, do you know what happened with patient X? And so actually, if I'm on the weekend with friends, family, kids, actually, that's not the best way to reach me. And so everyone does know that in an emergency, you would be called. So Mm. actually, do not expect me to respond to WhatsApps on the weekend or on my annual leave. Therefore, can we set some boundaries as a team and as a surgery and say, um, you know, we won't expect you to respond after 
whatever time in the evening. We won't expect a response on the weekend. Um, and the same goes for email. You know, my email signature says, I work on these days. I may send emails outside of work hours. I do not expect a response. Because the worst thing you can have is those emails where they send it on Friday afternoon at, you know, 5.55. And then they message on Monday morning at 9.05 and say, why haven't you responded? And it's like, well, you've given me 10 minutes of work time to actually respond. You shouldn't expect me to call or respond to that. Yeah. Drawing those lines in the sand and setting boundaries is so important. I mean, we talk about talk about this to our patients quite a lot as well, but it's really difficult, especially when everybody's connected so well. Um, and, and we were we were talking before uh, a bit about when when colleagues might say, "Well, I, I can't, I don't want to use this aspect of technology," but everybody else is. It can be quite hard to to combat that. And well, such and such is replying in the evening, or uh, they've sent an email on a Sunday, and and you. It, it feels like there's a bit of an internal imperative to do it. It's a hard thing to combat um, because it has infiltrated little by little into our lives, isn't it? Absolutely, because, um, you know, I've even spoken to people in Silicon Valley who look at, you know, apps and um, what do they do with their children? Um, <laughs> and do they let them, you know, use the iPad because... You don't want to have them left behind not being able to interact. Um, and maybe there's a slight negative connotation about the word boundaries. There shouldn't be, um, but it's a discussion. It's a discussion and an agreement amongst your work colleagues. It's slightly easier amongst uh, GP colleagues, perhaps then a, a whole hospital trust um, to be able to say, actually, this is what we expect and what we don't expect um, and have an agreement because then you're able to say, right, this is our protocol. You know, we've had a discussion around digital well-being. Uh, we wouldn't want you to be answering your phone at this time. You won't be left out. We will make sure if there is anything urgent to give you a call. Um, and the same goes in the same way that we wouldn't want, you know, a patient complaint to be a notification via email from the practice manager. It's much nicer to have a chat about it in person. And so we just need to be mindful of how we use technology. Yeah, remembering a bit of humanity uh, and that, you know, that throughout throughout our evolution, we have been in person, in person animals. Um, yes, that, that's really interesting. But we know that body language, as with our patients, is so key. When we're doing telephone consultations, it's much harder. We have to be mindful of our language um, and those verbal cues. The mm. same goes for much can be misconstrued via email and, and texting. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that you know, it's really, really nice segue onto the next part of what we're going to talk about, which was about sort of technological changes and, and, and the benefits and, and challenges um, in primary care so we've mentioned a bit about online meetings and some of the some of the issues around that and some of the benefits um how about sort of within our practice how do you see that changing so funnily enough uh, i've now taken on a digital health fellowship because whilst it's been uh, lovely to work on the ground supporting healthcare staff it's clear that you know workload and admin is one of the biggest contributors to burnout in the right. workplace, especially yeah. GPs. Um, 
And so I wanted to go upstream and tackle some of these issues. And I'm now working at a fantastic practice where they do use online triage. Um, and so I'm seeing some of the challenges around the increased demand because we've made ourselves so accessible, but also the advantages of being able to use AccuRx to send my patients, you know, patient information leaflets and use it for, you know, photos of dermatological conditions and, and being able to notify and send more information and email them and let them self book into appointments. And so there is something about making sure that, again, you know, we do everything we do because of our patients. Mm -hmm. um, but we want we all want to have the continuity of care but we also recognize the challenges of the government agenda around access and not being uh sort of committed to some of the uh losses that we might experience from that hmm yeah, um, an ever-challenging thing, sort of embracing the technology. And as we started this talk off, talking about the um, making it work for us, not not working for the technology and, and making sure it's uh, um, improving things overall rather than detracting. Um, and one of the things I sort of was thinking about, you know, as we move to more a sort of office-based, uh, sitting behind a computer for either portfolio work or in general practice, and we're doing more stuff, that it, it does have a kind of a physical impact as well, doesn't it? That more time staring at a screen more times sat sat down um and and i think that's probably we shouldn't underestimate the toll that that might take as well so this sort of uh technology changes do have knock-on effects absolutely um you know i don't know about you but when i envisioned becoming a doctor when i was younger i never envisioned that it would be sat at a desk for you know 10 hours of the day staring at one or two screens plus my phone mm. uh, and you know you're sat in a posture that isn't necessarily uh healthy in the same way that we would like to uh portray and role model for our patients i'm fortunate i do have a standing desk and i do my admin to with you know with music and and i stand up and i do these uh exercises where you stand on your tiptoes to to contract your calves um sort of these simple measures because we know that actually we weren't it, it's such a sedentary lifestyle that we didn't expect and you know we wear um wear out our eyes uh, you know mm -hmm. looking at something so near and always having this brightness um, you know, many people suffer with migraines. And so it is important to be mindful mm. of our own health and physical health and mental health uh, when interacting with so much uh, screen time at work as well as at home. And how can we find that balance? What can we do to support our colleagues with that? You know, most people think that standing desks are really expensive. It doesn't have to be the electric kind. You can get a cheap uh, converter which uses a hydraulic button to lift the the computer screen up you know so that you can do your admin standing actually it's great for role modeling to patients they they tend to appreciate face-to-face -face that they're asking you know maybe in the old days we used to ask about a different dynamic maybe you can encourage them to stand with you if they're not yeah 
or disabled it, person. It's fun. It's funny you mentioned this. I actually installed the standing desk converter in in my in my in my uh, consulting room on Monday, and I wasn't entirely sure. You know, I came in, they saw it, they're like, "Oh," and I said, "I'm just trying this. Would you like to stand?" It's like I prefer to sit, so down it goes. We sit down, and then up it comes at the end, and I'm just not entirely sure how to do it. Um, I'm at the university practice locally, and they've all got you know all got standing desks, and they're all standing up. But I wonder whether that's maybe a bit of a demographic what patients think about it. Yeah, yeah and and you know it depends on your cohort of patients um, and, and what they deem uh, the norm or the conformity of general mm -hmm. practice and, and their own perception of what a GP looks like. But certainly, I would say you know when you are doing your admin, that's your time to get up and then making sure that you're following a 2020 rule of looking away for 20 seconds every 20 minutes. You know, yeah. we, we know that radiology radiologists uh follow that because they're staring at a screen for a long time and they know it affects their concentration get up and move we also have seen some at the moment uh elementary studies uh around um genes in our muscles and uh the ones involved in uh lipolysis and, and breaking down fat and turning off if you are sedentary for more than 20 minutes so it's interesting to think that actually we're contributing to our own negative health because mm. we're spending so long sitting yeah. and the importance of getting up and going to get the patient rather than using the buzzer yes um, I, I, it's interesting in talking about this. You know, we say say uh, get up to go and get the patient rather than using the buzzer. Absolutely understand the steps in there, but I think a lot of this is done. A lot of the uh, advancements we make are, are to do with in the name of efficiency and productivity. Um, but actually, we we were talking a little bit before about about how useful a phone is in practice but it's it's a distraction it's there in the room um you you were mentioning uh, an interesting study about just how how amazingly distracting phones are um do you want to share that with us <laughs> yes um they did a study with stu university students where they uh, got them to do a test and they had their phone on the table uh and then another set had their phone in their pocket and then they had another set where the phone was in another room and it wasn't until uh, the phone was in another room that their scores improved so their actual uh, cognitive function and uh, high scoring went up when the phone was in another room because they uh, used a metaphor of how the phone is like a box of a packet of cigarettes for a smoker it is their and it is calling to you and it is addictive, even if it is in your pocket. So not until it is out of sight and in another place did uh, their scores improve and their sort of brain function. It, even with it off, I understand as well. You know, it's like, you know, it's there, you know, it could be going off. And it's a kind of constant vying for our attention. And when I was looking at my digital well-being again, I, I get 250 notifications a day. That's a lot of bings. And not only bings, but those bings, you know, neurochemically are saying, I want your attention. Yeah, I want your attention. Fixed. What could this be? What if it's really important? Yeah. What if I need you to respond immediately? Yeah. Um, and we're all privy, you know, we're all liable to it. And so, again, it is having to lock our phone in a drawer <laughs> or 
That's what I say do at work, yeah. You know, setting our own boundaries and, and, and alarms for ourselves, which is really difficult because yeah. it is so integrated into our lives and it, it, it is a social norm that what if your child is sick and the, the school mm. tries to call you and what mm. is your backup? Do they know the workplace and, and are able to get through to the receptionist to get you? Mm. So it, it is a challenge, but mm. it's a very slow creep. Yeah. Um, and so actually what's beneficial is sometimes setting these intentions and setting a reminder every month to just check in with yourself. Because I know it's challenging. I, yeah. I You know, I, I'm not perfect in any uh, way or by any means but it's just an awareness yeah no absolutely I, I think being aware and being aware that we even we as highly highly trained doctors and gps we're still susceptible to it because i think there's a tendency to think that it's a teenager problem that it's a young person problem only although we're still young you know we're uh, in our early th early slash mid 30s you know we're still young but the tendency to think that it's, oh, it's just the teenagers but i think that we're particularly vulnerable as as well just because where, where where we work and uh, and the stresses that we have going on around us um so okay so we talked a lot about this we've talked about it. it's it's almost like a pack of cigarettes in the pocket we talked about the you know the impact of sitting for too long and staring at screens so what what can we what can we do about this you know what what would you suggest uh that we could try and do? we talked about 20 minutes 20 sorry 20 seconds on 20 seconds off uh, with the screens um, what, what can we do? What's our fear here? What would we worried about? I guess there's there's many different ways uh, and we're all different, you know. Um, ironically, sometimes um, we need other technology to support us in not using technology. You know, there are uh, sort of nanny apps, as you said, to set timers on BBC News, your social media, um, you know, muting WhatsApps so that you're not constantly getting the notifications. Is that absolutely necessary to to check in with? You know, the same with emails. Actually, we know that we often check things on our phones uh, whilst we're on the move and then we read it and then we mark it back as unread to deal with later. So you're doubling up your task workload because <laughs> it's far better to set a time to respond to emails first thing in the morning, you know, and, and at the end, you know, middle of the day and end of day. And outside of that, it's very rare that it's going to be an urgent email that you're going to have to respond to within the next five minutes. Um, the same goes for, you know, email or system one and your screen messaging and your tasks. Uh, you know, you don't want to double up your workload and half read something and then have to come back and, and check all of that information again. Um, in terms of, you know, our boundaries and our digital boundaries, I think it is crucial to have that discussion with your workplace and with your family or whoever you may live with. Uh, too often, you know, phones creep onto the dining table and it's really important that we have that social interaction without interruption. Thinking about when you're going outside for a, a walk, do you take your phone? Yes, it's again advantageous to listen to a podcast on your commute and it feels useful and you're learning new information. But also sometimes if you are just going for a walk, mm. 
you perhaps want to not take your phone? You're going for a, a 10 minute walk at lunch around the block, get some vitamin D. <laughs> Actually, we don't necessarily want to always put like input more information because we need that reflection time to be able to process the information that we've already input. And that's not always possible when we're constantly adding more from digital technology, whether it's yeah. social media or music. I, or I think when, you know, when we talk about mindfulness, which is, you know, is a thing that I think most GPs will be at least partially familiar with, um, it's very difficult to do that when there are other distractions. And and one of the things I muse, you know, we're talking about like going for a walk without, I, I, I find myself filling dead time with podcasts or YouTube videos, which is all about learning and all. It's great as well. Um, particularly, say, when doing the washing up. But it's got to the point where I can't do the washing up without a podcast or a, a video or something like this, which doesn't necessarily seem like the, the absolute healthiest way of doing it. Um, and and it's so difficult. I mean, I, I again, following, following the last time we did it, I, I decided to have a mindful morning where I'd get my hair cut, go for breakfast on my own, and just people watch. And I decided to put my phone off and in my pocket. And, and I recognised that I, I reached for it five times despite it was off and despite it being in my pocket because I couldn't, I've lost this ability to do nothing. And I think this is my, my real fear with, or one of my fears with this kind of overarching technological aspects. Um, and you've said something key there, which is something we definitely advocate for, which is this thing of doing nothing yeah. because we work so hard to get to where we are and that involves doing so many things that we so often don't appreciate doing nothing. Whether that's because we feel guilty, unproductive, shame, whatever it is, actually block it off, we suggest. Blocking off the time to do nothing. Because, you know, I always remember okay, kind of uh, cute story, but dad always goes to the loo in the morning and that's his time to sit and think um and that's when a lot of his business ideas came uh, and that's backed up by many entrepreneurs who had their best ideas when they actually had nothing to input into their brains and they were able to reflect and process and and then solve one of their key problems that they were facing but too often we are bombarded with you know, notifications and things to watch and things to listen to and people to speak to that we don't give ourselves the time to just think and reflect. And so if it's useful, if you do find that, um, you know, using your phone is too prevalent for making notes and you will get distracted and go on the internet, that is why there has probably been an upsurge in gratitude journals and going back to the paper form where we won't get distracted you know i love a good train journey and a plane journey for sometimes not having wi-fi and actually being able to do some great work and writing and thinking mm. ah, that's uh i think it's a wonderful intention uh to to uh to have when we're talking about this sort of digital well-being um and and i think a really nice place to sort of uh, round off today's talk um it, it's been really really interesting talking to you alex and, and i love i love kind of the journey we've come on uh come across from sort of like putting this in the, the mental health context and looking at how digital solutions can both enhance 
our lives and our practice, but can also have some of those impacts. And and I think that one of the things I'm really going to take away from this is trying to find some time to do nothing, to have that great idea, to you know, to to figure out what I can do to to solve some of the problems that that come uh, in 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 life and 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 at work. Absolutely, we're relying on you, James, to solve some of the many uh, issues that we're facing in general practice right now. Well, I'll, I'll do my absolute best, uh, but there were no promises. I've got, I've got to learn how to do nothing first. And maybe maybe I'll start with doing the washing up uh, without, a, without a YouTube video playing. So maybe that's what I can do for this evening. Um, well, it's been wonderful. And and we've got a, I'm really happy to say we've got another podcast with yourself lined up. Um, so this one's been a bit more about uh, professionals and about how we sit in this. We're going to have a look about consultations uh, with patients, with young people, going to have a bit of a focus on and digital media and social media and the impacts it might have on their health. So I'm really looking forward to that. And hopefully people will tune in for that too. Um, that's really wonderful. Um, one, one thing before we go, um, I, you mentioned work well at the beginning. Is there a way people can get in contact with you uh, about about that um, and bring that to practice? What sort of things can you offer them? Yes, um, we often put tips or share information on our Instagram at the Workwell Doctors, um, and feel free to contact us at the Workwell Doctors at gmail.com if you'd like to arrange a workshop for your PCN or your practice um we've often done it through training hubs as well brilliant yeah we'll pop a link at the bottom there well thank you again alex it's been absolutely wonderful to talk to you um and i look forward to our next conversation thank you so thank you all for listening and we really hope you found this podcast helpful and interesting more info and links for this episode can be found at gpnotebookpodcast.com and if you've enjoyed this episode don't forget to follow us and perhaps leave a like and review we have loads of other podcasts and topics that you can listen to to so have a check back through the archive. There's a lot there to discover. Feel free to get in touch via social media at GP Notebook or email us if you've got any questions, comments or ideas for future podcasts. You can also head to our brand new website to register for our virtual GP Notebook study groups and download free resources and shortcuts to help improve the lives of patients in primary care. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time. Thank you.